It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. This is your host, Stan Dryav, my co-host, the spinning back elbow to my Yuri Prohaska, Nick Braccia. How are you, buddy? Doing okay. I was... Uh... Very pleased for the most part with the way the fights went with respect to how I was able to score last week. Picked up a little bit of ground on you, but also I made some, uh, you know, I made some smart and strategic choices in my, in my picking that paid off. We were, I believe, eight and a half points apart leading up to this event. You've got a half point advantage, and I blame it almost squarely, Nick, on that terrible abomination of a robbery of a decision between TJ Brown and Kai Kamaka the uh, third. This is the first time I think in ages that we've seen everybody on MMA decisions scored for the other guy. There's not a single person that scored it for TJ Brown. That's how bad of a decision this was. Uh, but it was, you know what? It wasn't a great event overall. If we're going to be honest, the main event was actually uh, pretty great, right? The co-main event, the even the Justin Jacoby Kute Laba fight, I thought was pretty good. But I thought there was a lot to be desired uh, from the majority of the rest of this card. Let's quickly get into this before, of course, we're going to end up breaking down this coming Watterson versus Rodriguez fight card for you guys in the second segment. Nikolai, Yuri Pro, motherfucking Hoska. Tell me what are your thoughts, man? Two fights in, number one contender. I mean, what else can you say? Well, he certainly de- he certainly deserves it. Uh, it was it was an it was an incredible performance. The thing I've watched it three times, and the thing that really sticks out to me is that Dominic Reyes won the first half of the first round, uh, pretty convincingly. Yeah, and. Uh, you know he's Reyes. Reyes is a good is a good fighter. He was uh, he was countering. He was uh, he was landing some big shots and did a big kick. Some good straight you know straight shots. But when uh, Yuri moves when he when he moves in in the the just the relentless pace that he keeps. It's like this Khabib pace except for striking instead of grappling. Yeah, and it's just like you can only. It just you can only it just does, it, he doesn't stop, and um, and he's got and he's got a lot of pop and as as we suspected, he got he touched that nose early, and you know Ray's got goes back to the corner after the first round looking you know, looking like he got hit by a car, um, even though he had won the you know he had won the arguably the first uh, two and a half to three minutes of the fight, um, and in the second round he certainly had his moments too he had that tight guillotine and he. Um, he also really he really rocked him and put put Yuri on uh, on chicken legs, but uh, Prashask is just like these techno Viking bursts of uh, you know remarkable combos. It's just relentless, and he's he's relentless, and he's coming at you um, from every you know from every direction. And also his his unorthodox style, you know, keeping his hand down his hands down, kind of a karate stance, I think. But I just don't. I don't think people. It's. I think it's probably pretty hard to train from strikes that fast and strong coming at you from those angles, because uh, they seemed. They certainly seemed to surprise uh, surprise Reyes on multiple occasions. So I, I think he's. I think he's the real deal. The th- the dangerous thing is he gets hit a lot, and he's got a great chin. But I. Uh, I, I yes, I absolutely believe he deserves the, to fight the winner, and. 
the winner of Glover, Jan. And I could see Glover potentially winning that fight, but I th- I'm still thinking Jan's going to be favored. But I think that I think Yuri would most certainly uh, defeat Teixeira. And I, but I don't. I still I still think I would favor Jan Blahovich because uh, of his of his insane power, uh, just his his power his power and poise. I think uh, and the hit a bit and how hittable Yuri is. I, I think you know people keep saying he's what we, he's what we wanted uh, Johnny Walker to be or what we thought Johnny Walker was, and I to some extent that's true. Um, but it is it is high risk high reward, and I. I don't know. The, the, it's a very interesting fight because should Blahovich get past Glover, um, my guess would be that the buck will stop with, with Jan Blahovich, but, but Yuri will, even if that happens, uh, he will remain must-see TV in the light heavyweight division. Yeah, I mean, there's something special about this guy. It's really hard for people to deal with somebody that's just constantly on the attack, constantly in your face. And as you alluded to, Dominic Reyes looked phenomenal in the first half of that first round. And we're talking about like two minutes here, right? He looked really good. But after he got that takedown, he got that top position, almost took his back. But Yuri Prohaska has this one brilliant thing that is very different about his ground game, at least from the bottom, than, than from his stand-up game, right? And that he was extremely patient off his back. He didn't do anything extraneous. He didn't spend energy. He waited for the opportunity when Dominic Reyes was going to pass, and then he exploded, scrambled, and got out of there. And that's when his pressure started, right? He just started putting it on Reyes, and man, Reyes was having a hard time catching a breath. And I spoke last week about how Yuri creates this storm that makes it incredibly difficult for opponents to keep up, right? And that's if his first couple of hard punches won't knock you out, which has happened in the past throughout his risen career, right? Against much more shop-worn, formerly good fighters. In this case, he's fighting guys in his prime who are at the top of this light heavyweight division. And I know it's not a phenomenal division overall if you compare it skill for skill to most of the others in the UFC, but still, like, I think it's a better division now than it has been in a long time. And he just ran through a couple of guys that are really solid. He finished both of them in the second round after looking a little bit human at times in the first round. But again, it was the same thing here, right? He puts Dominic Reyes into a position where Reyes has no choice but to just start throwing nonstop output back because otherwise you feel like he's he's just going to take over and he's going to destroy you, right? He's just going to overwhelm you if you let him. And so it makes guys not only tired because they're on their back foot with somebody in their face throwing hard punches, but also because they feel like they have to throw back at all times. And so you're getting tired at a super rapid pace, and this guy will keep going. This guy's fine to keep pot shotting you, to keep taking shots from you as he pushes his way in. You talked about how Yuri is probably going to do well against Glover Teixeira. I mean, I think it's uh, I think on paper it could go either way because of how we saw Dom Reyes take him down and get mount almost immediately. Um, Glover Teixeira is not giving up that position once he gets it, right? He's either finishing you or he's pounding you out and doing some serious damage before the end of the, before the round ends. So I can see Glover doing well in this matchup. Like he has against a lot of these kind of more reckless prospects who are more athletic, who are more powerful. I could see the, the route there, but Prohaska does seem something like something special. It's interesting. He spoke, uh, before and after the fight about the book of five rings and that, how that has kind of become the guiding principle to how he lives his life. And, the Book of Five Rings was written by this, I looked into it a little bit, it was written by this old Japanese like swordsman who's like this just prolific swordsman that was supposed to be among the best. He like literally went out and sought challenges of the greatest swordsman out there and 
challenged him to fights to the death, and he tended to win in almost every case. I think he ended up being a guy who actually grew old, given given what he did for a living, grew old and was able to write this book. And Prohaska kind of does take some principles just by looking at the way that he fights. Part of the principle is that if you got your opponent hurt, you go nonstop. You go at him, and you do not stop until you got him out of there. Your Prohaska lives by that, right? Uh, another idea is to give your opponent... Uh, some moments of success to make them overconfident so that they can overcommit before you get them back. And Prohaska does that. Here's the thing. Prohaska is really good on the front foot. He's really good as he pressures you. If he just added fakes and feints to his game instead of just constant strikes, he doesn't have to take as many shots because eventually that will wear, eventually that'll become an issue. I could actually see his style being tailored for John Jones, whereas I wouldn't be shocked if he beats both uh, both uh, Jan Blachowicz and Glover Teixeira. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if he catches those guys sooner or later. I think one thing that him and Glover having, I'm sorry, him and uh, Blachowicz have in common is that they're really good on the front foot and they're really good on the counter. Blachowicz, of course, minds his defense a lot more than Prohaska does. So I'm fascinated to see this guy progress in the division. It's kind of crazy that he went from being largely an unknown to number one contender overnight. And I think light heavyweight is a division where that can really happen uh, more often than not if you're willing to face the best and if you're ready to actually beat him. Really impressive stuff by him. And then, yeah, man. I mean, we've seen it to that point, though. We've seen it with Eddie Alvarez, Gilbert Melendez, uh, Michael Chandler. There have been people who have had, had success in other divisions. Or, I'm sorry, other promotions. Uh, but, you know, the difference is that, that Ryzen is, you know, it's more like one. It's right. overseas. Well, I would say I would say it's less serious than one because one has a bunch of really talented people that have no names. And Risen had a bunch of big name people who have no talent or skill left. So in that way, it's like his level yeah. of competition although was King, even lower. Although, I mean, Mo was there when Mo was still, I think Mo still had something left to give. And Mo beat him back then, right? That was his last loss. Uh, well, they fought twice. Right, right, exactly. And the last time they fought, Mo was a fraction of his former self. He wasn't the same guy at all. Yeah, Mo fought. It was pretty, yeah, actually it was after Mo's Bellator run. Right. Which was still a while ago. He beat, he beat, uh, he beat him at the end like a little over six years ago, um, which means Yuri was only like 23 years old, 22 or 23. And it was, he made a, he, it was an obvious rookie mistake. I mean, he basically ran in hunched over with his head down. I mean, I'm sorry, with his head, with his head stuck way out ahead of his feet and he got, he got drilled with a hook. Which by um, the way, he still kind of does at times. It's a little better about his balance, uh, but he still kind of does that kind of thing. Yeah. I think he's. I, I. I think if you watch, I don't know if you watched it or not. The one with Mo was so egregious. I don't think he does anything like that uh, anymore. Right. Yeah. But yeah. He, but he certainly, um, his head. His head movement is. I think on defense is quite. You know, is quite good. He's. He. I mean, he does get. Hit, he does get hit a lot, but he's also pretty elusive with his style. He should get hit a lot more. Um, and the crazy thing is that I'm watching. I'm watching the second round now of the Prochaska Reyes fight, and. From up top, Prochaska is pounding on him, right? And Reyes is landing hammer fists from his back. So his defense, even from there, is not really that great. And then at some point, Reyes lands a couple of big up kicks, and one of them seems to possibly drop Prochaska. And Prochaska is the kind of guy who actually admitted after the fight that he was knocked out for that moment. And he kind of recovered and dug for an underhook, kept top position, kept that pressure on, got up, continued to pursue Reyes, and then missed that right elbow, went right into the spin for the left elbow, knocked him the holy heck out. It was just a storm that Reyes could not possibly handle since Reyes likes a clean I didn't fight. hear that. So so he said he, was, he said he was knocked out by an up kick? 
Uh, yeah, and and if you watch uh, toward the, maybe the last minute of that of their fight with about a minute and a half left in the round, uh, you see that upkick land, and you see Prochaska kind of drop into side control a little bit. But like I now that he said that, I totally believe that he went out for a second. Probably not a complete knockout, but well, he, he well he was badly. well he was also he was rocked badly on the feet. I mean, he took you know just like against Ostemir, he took some heat. He, yeah. he definitely. And his chin's really good, but he's—we've seen him hurt in all in both of his hurt badly in both of his UFC fights. But he's just, yeah, he fight, he fights with an ethos. Must must see TV. Uh, moving on, uh, you know, I think we both thought that Cub Swanson's veteran savvy and wrestling game uh, were going to be uh, make and we're going to make things difficult for Giga Chikaze, and they they really didn't. Giga. His last two fights, he's he's going out there. He reminds me a lot of Musasi. He's got a bit of a chip on his shoulder, and uh, he's just gone out and thrown. And picture perfect liver kick was all it took. I mean, beautiful, beautiful and brutal kick. And Cub Swanson's not an easy guy to get out of there. Uh, he's not somebody who's, who's just gonna you know quit. He it was you know nasty shot. He's ready for uh, you know. Let's take a let's take a look at the rankings and uh, who do we think at uh, at featherweight is you know is the next fight for him. I guess there's a lot of uh, upcoming featherweight fights, and I think Josh Emmett's still hurt. If we're looking, I mean, he just hit number ten in the UFC rankings at least. Uh, I would love a fight with Shane Burgos. I think that would be extremely exciting, man. Yeah, he well, he's he's uh, I think Burgos. I got to go to the other ranking site now because Burgos is matched up with somebody. Yes. Well, uh, hopefully it's soon so that they can match these two up. And maybe if Burgos loses that matchup, maybe it's the winner of that fight that might be right around that nine or 10 spot that Jika Jakadze can face. But I think for excitement, Burgos would be fantastic. Josh Emmett, um, I think he's scheduled, but that would be exciting. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. He called out either Calvin Cater or Max Holloway, which I think are great call-outs for him, particularly Calvin Cater. I think that would be a fascinating matchup. And I think the style might might just favor Giga in all of the right ways. We've only seen Cater lose twice in the UFC, and it was both two really tall, really good kickers who are going to use their footwork to stay out of boxing range, and that's that's kind of Giga, man. Yeah, yeah, and Burgos is fighting Barbosa next week. Oh, great. It's next week. That's fantastic. So the winner of that fight is going to be in a really good spot, I think. Uh, Barbosa at number 13, currently Burgos at number 9. I think the winner of that fight would make for an exciting yeah. matchup with Chikadze, if not Calvin Cater. Yeah, the, and the other fights going on, you've got Iga in that division. You've got in June, you've got Dan Iga against Korean Zombie. That's right. You've that's got a great Hakeem fight you got uh, Evloev against Hakeem against Hakeem Dewandu is a, is a big one. Those are those are kind of the guys who are booked um, and a little bit further down. Ryan Hall against Ilya Tapuria. If you really wanted to mess with Giga, I love uh, that would be. But he's but he's a bit further up. But yeah, all sorts of interesting options as. Uh, Featherweights, uh, you know, forever one of the one of the more loaded. You know, we've got hey, we've got Arnold Allen coming off of that win. That's you right. Could, Arnold you could Allen, match up. You could match up Giga and Arnold Allen right now. Although I, I'd likely favor Arnold Allen in that bout. Um, yeah, I think I would too. Uh, just real part? quick on this fight, we've seen Cub Swanson yeah. falter a couple of times to these tall guys that are willing to put some power out there pretty early. We've seen it against Hanato Maikano, who caught him early and finished him with a Rene choke. I think it was a jab that caught him. Um, he And I think, if I'm not mistaken, Brian Ortega may have hurt him on the feet before that guillotine choke. I could be mistaken there. So we have seen this kind of thing happen to him in the past. And Jika Jikatsai, I spoke about how like he's he was extremely aggressive against Omar Morales. He was fast. He was efficient. 
if this version fought Cub Swanson, then I have a lot of confidence in him. But I didn't expect that because I thought that he would be wary of Cub Swanson's takedowns. And he wasn't, man. He came in yeah. confident super fast. He was going for that early finish, and he got it, man. Spectacular performance by Giga, who's really coming into his own as either the best or the, I would say, the one of the top three prospects coming out of the country of Georgia. Elsewhere, looking down the card, we had, I mean, not a lot to say about, you know, I had picked Dust, Dustin Jacoby. Uh, to outlast Ian Kutalaba. There's a couple of fights where we, you know, the, the story of the fights uh, were interesting. I say this for both Ian Kutalaba and then also the Philippe Kolaris uh, Luke Sanders fight. The, the, they were both fights with narratives. It was like, will, will Kutalaba be able to put him away uh, and burn out? Will Jacoby be able, you know, be crafty enough to survive? In that other fight, it was, will Kolaris's chin hold up and will Sanders's gas tank hold up? And in, in all those cases, everybody. I mean, every all of them delivered. <laughs> you know, Kutalaba's gas tank was a little bit better. He didn't burn out, even though he didn't get the finish. Uh, and Jacoby survived, wasn't quite able to do enough to get the win. And then in that barn burner to start the card, he had Philippe Calares uh, taken a serious ass whipping in the first round, only only uh, to see his chin hold up and come back and almost finish Luke Sanders in the second, uh, and then eke out a win in the third. So uh, a lot of guys you know, who had some doubts casted their way, uh, you know, win or lose, um, had at least more, you know, for what it's worth, had moral victories, proved, proved that, that they had uh, cleaned up their deficiencies to some extent. Yes, sir. I'm going to take some credit for calling that Ion, Ion Kutelaba might just use his wrestling in this matchup. And he has really good Greco-Roman wrestling. He's got a background uh, in it from, I believe, Moldova. And man, that's what he succumbed to in that first round. To be honest, I thought that probably Dustin Jacoby did enough, just barely enough in that um, second round before taking over in the third, or I might have those reversed. Um, I thought that Justin probably did enough for the win there, but I guess a draw is fine. Like we see Ian Kutilaba get tangled up in like rematch after rematch now for a couple of years. I assume they're going to rematch these two guys. I wouldn't be surprised. It was a fun fight to watch. Uh, Sean Strickland looks super sharp with his boxing against the unorthodox Christoph Jotko. Strickland is just really bringing everything together now. 23-3, and three, really tall for middleweight. Trains with some high-level guys. I'm excited about him. Rob Devashvili did what we expected against Kony Stamen. Bigger punches standing up. Really good wrestling. Uh, this weird thing with uh, Randa Marcos and Luana Pinera. Um, what did you think of that whole situation with the up, the Ill illegal upkick that led to the disqualification? It was a weird one, man. I, I, I don't know because it looked, it looked like, I mean, she was dropping her on her head. She was winning a judo fight. I don't know what, uh, and she seems super aggressive. You know, I don't know what the experience is like being in there. But she was certainly wasn't in a position where she w could have been should have been looking for a way out of a fight. She was winning the fight, but uh, when she ate the up kick, you know, I, I don't know what it's like to get hit with a shot like that. Like she definitely braced herself coming down. Felder clearly thought she was full of it, um, and you know, and then there was a picture of like her trainer or boyfriend or somebody like car carrying her, like cradled like a baby, like through the back. <laughs> um, you know, in their, in their arms, it's like, that's an awful lot to go through for a show. I, I mean, my instinct is that, that, that is that she, that she was hurt. I just don't know enough about what it's like to get kicked in the face or to, or to be knocked out, um, to, to know if, if it was, you know, Academy Award level or not. Nick, I say we get into that position and I give you an idea of what that might feel like. Okay. <laughs>
All right, I'm excited. Uh, here's the thing. I like I see the argument to be made, right? We we keep focusing on the fighter that did not do an illegal move when these things happen, right? We focus on, and when I say we, I mean us as an MMA community, including those commentators at times. We focus on the fighter that was hurt and kind of put the pressure on them and how they're supposed to act and whether or not they're acting, whether they really were hurt. And it is kind of a weird situation, right? Instead of focusing on, what this other fighter just did, which was clearly an illegal blow. And I get that argument, but at the same time, it did seem like it did seem like there was a bit of a pause where she made eye contact with the referee, noticed that the referee was coming in and realizing it was a foul, and then she decides to fall onto her back and pretend like she is dazed and knocked out. It is odd. Um, look, bottom line is an illegal strike was thrown. Don't throw illegal strikes if you don't want to be disqualified. You're always taking that risk, but it does seem like Aljamain Sterling started a little bit of a trend where we can't go two events without a fighter essentially taking a disqualification win instead of continuing to fight like uh, like yeah. Anthony Smith did against John Jones back in the day. Well, the thing that made this one worse is that I I would argue that the fouls the 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 eye pokes you know that really sliced her eyelid open made it super difficult to see. She was constantly blinking. Like those fouls were easily as bad as a kind of as is that uh, as that up kick was. I hear that. Um, so th- so the fact that like Marcos, who's an, you know a rare under five hundred UFC fighter, um, you know looking to try to turn things around, ate those ate those two egregious fouls with no points, and then got deked for hers. I don't know if she fouled out of aggression. It was ruled as being on purpose uh, versus accidental. So you know. I don't, I don't know. It was a weird one, but I'm. I'll tell you what. I am interested in seeing. Um, Pinero. I'm, I'm very, yeah, very interested in seeing uh, Luana uh, Pinero fight again. Yeah, I'm there with you. She, um, I mean, she has a lot of the intangibles. She seems athletic. She has a judo black belt, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu brown belt. Striking looked pretty good when she was letting it go. So she has a lot of things on paper, but it is. I think it's going to put a bit of a spotlight in her career as it goes on. Every time she gets fouled, I think people are going to be looking at her, her a little bit differently, just like they are at a guy like Aljamain Sterling, where, you know, like there's always going to be a question as to whether they're hurt. And there's always going to be a question as to whether they're looking for a way out. This was a fight that she was winning. Was she getting tired? I don't know. Like, I, I don't see why she would take the disqualification since she was doing so well. Uh, I, look, Randa Marcos fouled her. She made a stupid mistake. She's a veteran. She's experienced. Sorry, like, you, you lose if you foul your opponent. It is that simple when it comes to the end of the day. And then the Kai Kamaka-TJ Brown fight, man. I really thought TJ Brown looked great in the first round, was employing his takedowns, was really putting uh, the numbers out there, but that's what got him exhausted, and that's what allowed Kai Kamaka's wrestling and striking offense to really took over in the second and third rounds. I don't know what those judges were watching, but that sucks for me, man. Uh, I would have been, uh, I would have uh, owned another half a point over you, so I would have been nine points in the lead had that decision gone as it should have. And then we've got um, Botelia beating Carol. Uh, I'm sorry, Carolina beating Botelia. It was a pretty close fight. Second round could have gone either way. Third round clearly uh, Carolina's. First round clearly Botelia's. Uh, you know, I'm I'm fine with the decision going either way. I thought Carolina probably did a little bit more and probably earned it. Uh, Luke Bume looked good at like we expected overall, though she looked a little tired late. Andreas Michaelitis is a powerful guy, and KB Bular is a twig of a man. And then Philippe Corrales, who has always shown heart, 
has the will nonstop, uh, went against the guy who only has about five minutes of offense and gas tank and then falls apart. And the fight happened exactly as it should have given those variables. I should have seen that coming. Any other thoughts on this card, buddy? I really enjoyed Devashvili Stamen. Um, I definitely think as much as it was nice to see how happy TJ Brown was, Kai Kamaka, as you said, got screwed. Uh, Loma Lukbunmi, I feel like her, her ceiling's kind of low, but I'll always tune in for her fights. And I'll be, I'll be fair, Sam Hughes coming out of like looking like she really, really wanted out of that Tisha Torres fight. Yeah. Um, did, never gave up, fought hard, really tried against, uh, against an opponent that's, uh, that's tough everywhere. Um, and I so thought she won that third round you know, too, so props to her. I, I think I think she did. She did, I do think she did win the third round. So um, she showed she was tough stuff. You know, Christophe Jacot. Speaking of people with low ceilings, it was just like that. Just looked like a Sean Strickland sparring match. Um, you know, Strickland. Sometimes I'm thinking he's like a he's dime store bisbing, but he's um, he's tough. He's tough, and he's a good boxer. I like him. I would say they're opposites. Just real quick, I like that Bisping comparison, yeah. but I think here's how they're opposites. Bisping was not athletic, was not extremely sharp or fast, even though like he had the will, right? He would just pour it on his opponents until his opponents didn't want to be there anymore, whereas Strickland has the athleticism, has the speed, has the technique, but he's not really pouring it on. He's happy to stay at a mid-range, just doing enough to edge it out on the scorecards. And I would say like that attitude shift could do something for Strickland if, if he's able to make it. Well, to be fair, he's 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 had finishes and two. He's 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 on a four fight win streak with two finishes. That's um, fair. I thought that's, that's and, actually and a good some, point. Brendan Allen and Norton and, and and and, Mar, Mar, and and Marshman's a glutton for punishment. And the Jaco fight, I thought he ha, I thought he had Jaco ready to go a couple of times, and he fought a little a little bit risk averse. And maybe he's just looking for you know maybe he's looking for that bigger fight. Um, you know, when I think about who's, you know, who's next for Sean Strickland, that's a good question. That is a good question. You, We're talking about 185. He is he is number 11. He actually jumped four spots with this win, which I, I think uh, four spots seems like a lot, but he jumped over Weidman and Holland or Omari Ahmedov, Brad Tavares. Um, I would not mind seeing him. I know there's Shabazz in a schedule against someone. Who do you have? Uriah Hall, Nick. Uh, yeah, I'd see, him, I'd see Uriah Hall or Kevin Holland. Yeah, I'm into that. Kevin Holland is just like in a place where – if the UFC wants to do him a favor and give him somebody mediocre, they probably should. Otherwise, he might just wash out of this promotion uh, with a matchup against the guy. If he loses a matchup against Sean Strickland, yeah, but Stri- yeah, but Strickland's going to box him. That's going to be a striking bout, and it's like a fair point. That would good, be an exciting uh, one too, right? And uh, Kevin Holland's the kind of guy who would make Sean Strickland have to work and really push. Which maybe I'm not giving him enough credit for that, but I, I would like to see a little bit more of a willingness to finish from him. Even though you're right, he does have two finishes in his last four fights. Not a lot to complain about there. Uh, I also. I wouldn't mind. I honestly. think they're. I think yeah. they're both at that cusp. They're both at that put up or shut up moment in the division. I feel like Uriah Hall at this point uh, has has done enough to get um, you know to get a, to get a bigger fight. I guess, but Uriah Hall's been has been gifted with really big fights, and you know the last one. God knows how that could have gone, of course. But you know, against against Anderson Silva, he like didn't look amazing until the knockout happened. And I feel like he's exactly the kind of stepping stone that a guy like. Uh, Sean Strickland should be taking at this point in his career, especially a guy that's ranked a couple spots above him. Also, I will say quickly, Kevin uh, Kelvin Gastelum, who I know is coming off a loss, that against Sean Strickland, nothing wrong with that at all. That's exactly the kind of test for both guys to see if Gastelum can still hang in the top 10 and if Strickland is really yeah. ready for that top six, top seven territory. I think that would be interesting as well. Let's yeah, I'll uh, take that one. 
Let's take a break, Nick. Let's uh, come back. We're going to break down the UFC fight now. Rodriguez versus Watterson, Nikolai, coming up this weekend. Unfortunately, we lost the original scheduled main event, which I was was actually very excited about. Corey Sanhagen versus TJ Dillashaw. I believe they've trained together. They train at the same gym right now. This would have been fascinating. TJ Dillashaw had to pull out because of a cut over his eyebrow. We're going to have to wait for that one a little bit longer. But uh, let's take a break. Come back and break it down for these folks. Back on the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast, and Nick and I are about to dive into the MMA Geeks draft, which essentially works like this. We each take turns drafting fighters onto our team. At the end of the uh, fight night on Saturday, whichever of us has more winning fighters ends up winning the, the week. Now, the way it works is that if you have an underdog of plus 150 or above that comes through for you, you end up with two points instead of just one. And Nick has been strategically using some of those opportunities and has been working out for him uh, about at least half the time, which is pretty darn good, I think, for picking underdogs. Nikolai, I believe it is you who has the first pick this time. And gee golly, you need it. Talk to me, buddy. Yeah, but I'm, I'm taking a different strategy. Now. I'm not, I can't take the most obvious fights. I need, I need to carry pick up ground. So I've got to snag those underdog picks before you possibly um, you know, eat it up. I so I'm going to go with this first pick. Really, I think you'll think this is maybe stupid, maybe ballsy, but I'm going to go with your former I knew um, it. gym mate, Angela Hall, to defeat uh, Amanda Hibas. It's actually Angela uh, Hill, love... Nick. I know it's a tough name to pronounce. <laughs> I said Angela Hill. What did you think I said? You said Hall. Oh, I did? Jesus. Yeah. No worries. Um, Angela Hill against Amanda Hibas. Um, yeah, I think this is going to be a really, really fun fight. It's a yeah. candidate for a fight of the night. I think Angie's been so good. Uh, lately, her striking is just on point. Her taking her takedown defense uh, is better, but her volume—I just think her—I think her volume's bonkers, and she also has one hell of a beard. Uh, so Hibas is is terrific, but she's coming off that knockout loss, rare in the division, to the to the headliner Marina Rodriguez in this in this bout. And I just think this is one of those cases. When I look at who Hibas is beat, I think that Angie has surpassed that level. And is just the wily striking veteran, and it's. It, I really believe that she's going to end up putting a second loss in a row uh, on Amanda Hibas, who I still think has a has a high ceiling um, and is going to do quite well. I just think that this is, you know, Hill ends up in all of these like split decisions. This could be one of them. I just think her veteran savvy and her volume are going to be too much for Hibas. And yeah, Hibas also doesn't exactly. Wait, she also doesn't have Hill's kryptonite. She's not. She's not Carla Esparza. Against a Carla Esparza, uh, you're always going to have trouble picking, uh, you know, against that style of fighter, picking Angie Hill, um, even though she's gotten better there. But he, it's not like Hebus isn't an elite level uh, takedown artist. <clears throat> well, I will say this quickly. Hebus does have an average of 2.31 takedowns per 15 minutes. That's a lot. One, two. She doesn't seem to have a whole lot of trouble getting takedowns at 58%. Like, it doesn't sound like a phenomenal number, but it's actually a pretty decent number considering the level of opposition uh, between Random Marcos, Mackenzie Dern, Emily Whitmire, Paige Van Zandt. I realize Marcos and Whitmire aren't exactly, you know, top-level yeah, talent, nor I, is Van Zandt. To I, be fair. I, that's the thing. I don't really agree with that. Like, I mean, I, the stats are the stats, but I just think that Hill's been playing at a more elite level of the division yeah, uh, for a couple true. of years now. That is true. And another thing about Hill is that she lands... Uh, like a strike and a half more per minute than does Hibas. Now, 
I don't have much of a doubt, but here's the thing though. He boss absorbs 1.7. She absorbs less than two strikes per minute. Angela Hill absorbs five strikes per minute, but you're right. It's against really high level competition. Um, here's the thing. Angela Hill, if she can keep the standing, I think there's a chance she could rock Amanda Hebos. We've seen Hebos has two losses on her record. Both of those losses are by knockout. Both of those losses are to current UFC fighters who hit pretty hard for the division. Marina Rodriguez is, of course, the knockout that she's coming off of back in January. Now, part of the question is, is it enough time to recover from that? She was basically knocked down badly and then kind of finished. Herb Dean touched Rodriguez, and Rodriguez thought she won. She walks away. Hebos stumbles her way to her feet and just like is swaying there in place as Herb Dean allows Rodriguez to top her off with some big shots that are just really not necessary. If you're a fighter who has not been screwed by Herb Dean in some way or another, whether it's your brain or your or your winning record, <laughs> you, you are a rarity in the, at the UFC level at this point, unfortunately. Um, here's the thing. Can Amanda Hebos get takedowns? Because she can do well from top position against Hill. I think Hill's been doing a much better job, not only of her footwork uh, preventing takedowns that way, but also she doesn't just lunge in with offense, allowing Hebos to duck under and get that takedown. The way that she did with a body lock against Rodriguez, where Rodriguez came in with that hard jab cross that she landed a few times on Hebos, and Hebos was able to just catch her, ran to the clinch, and, and dump her onto the floor. She controlled from top position, but stayed in the guard, right? Angela Hill has what it takes to survive if that happens once. Um, I'm worried that in that second round, it's really going to all depend on whether Hebos can get that top position. If she can, she probably can't keep her for a little while, long enough to win the round. But I do think there's a chance that Angela Hill is going to knock her out. She has serious power in her right hand, even though we haven't seen her finish a whole lot of fights standing. She did knock down... Um, she knocked down Gadelia in that second round of their fight, and she was hurting, especially early in the fight, Watterson, uh, in their in her la- in two fights ago as well. So her power is definitely ticked up. I think that she can move her head off the center line and clock Amanda Hebos and possibly either rock her and win the win one round that way, or possibly even finish her. Hebos, the big mistake she makes, and we saw that against Rodriguez in the last fight, is she throws her jab cross jab combo with her head remaining in the center line without shifting off of it, right? And so she's going to get tagged by a clean right hand, and that's exactly what happened to her in the last fight. Uh, I can see Angela Hill pull, pulling off the same thing, especially with Hebos coming off of that uh, fight just a few months ago. Angela Hill, by the way, at plus 155, it's, it's not a bad bet to make. Uh, by decision, I'd imagine I know. it's more that's in that why I'm, that's why I'm, that's range. Why I'm, yep, I hear yeah, that's that. That's why I'm, I'm picking her picking her early as the underdog. And could, from my point of view, she could very easily be on a six-fight win streak um, with some, you know, taking out some strong opposition True. because I do, I did have her winning the Gadea fight and the Watterson fight was razor, razor sharp. I think both of those fighters have better takedowns than Amanda Hebas. Uh, so yeah, I think I, I'm picking, I'm picking Angie here. I don't think it's the easiest pick, but again, folks, I'm going for I'm uh, because it. she's a plus one fifty or more. I get double points against Stan Dryev. That is true. Uh, it would be a shame though if all the smarts jump on Angela Hill and this turns into a pick'em on Fight Night. I would really enjoy that, Nikolai. But Let's move on. My first pick is going to be, I think I'm going to go and believe in this young prospect who's only one and known in the UFC with one knockout. He took that fight on short notice. I think I'm going to take Ludovic Klein to beat Mike Trezano. I think the odds are too wide on this one. Mike Trezano is still a skilled fighter. If I remember correctly, he trains out of Tiger Shulman's, which is a pretty solid overall team. I don't think Trezano has the wrestling offense to 
take Klein down consistently. Klein is extremely explosive, very fast. His head kick is a murderer, man. He lands that thing regularly, and when he does, everybody drops. There's no exception to that rule. Um, I don't, I'm not sure that Klein is going to finish him, but Klein does not go to decision a lot. But I do like him to to just really put it on him standing. Trezano's good everywhere, man. He's like skilled. He, he is not to be disrespected here. I think this line is too far apart, but I do like Klein. I wouldn't put a bet on him at minus 250, but I but I like this prospect. I'm excited about him. Uh, yeah, I had this this likewise. I am his his last head kick finish against uh, oh my god, who is that guy? Did you just you just mention him? The uh, the city kickboxing fighter. Shane Young is who he beat. He literally won his last three fights via head kick. And and then like three or four fights before that, he won. The, the finish led in with the head kick. He's unbelievable, man. Well, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna take another pick that is on some sites is hovering around plus one fifty. Uh, I'm gonna take the short notice Alex Morano to defeat Cowboy uh, Donald Cerrone. Um, well, I mean, you know, Morano Morano's been around. He's been in the UFC for a, for a long time, and I just I think that he's. Um, you know, kind of like that Nico Price Donald Cerrone fight. I just think that Morano is a level of fighter that uh, that Cerrone has a, has a tough time with. He had a good fight against uh, against Anthony Pettis, if I recall. He, he you know he beat Max Griffin recently. Yes, he got floored by Chaos Williams, but that happens um, with with Chaos's power. Um, but I I just think that you know tw- however many UFC fights he's got now, twelve or something like that, maybe more. Um, I don't, I just, I don't think Donald has enough in the tank, uh, to take out like a kind of a 30 year old veteran, uh, like this, even like stepping in, you know, I also worry that, uh, Donald Cerrone's, uh, expected opponent until two weeks ago was Diego Sanchez. And I can't see Donald being all that worried about taking out Diego San the Diego Sanchez of current, uh, that challenge. And I feel like. You know, I don't, who knows what his training is, uh, or what his training's been like. But you know, this is this is Alex Morano's biggest opportunity and biggest fight in the UFC. He's going to come to to fucking knock Cerrone's block off, um, and I can just I can see him you know winning two rounds, uh, certainly eating some shots. But I, I just think he's going to be too durable um, uh, for twenty twenty one Donald Cerrone to get out of there. I don't think Cerrone has a UFC fight, uh, UFC win left in him unless they unless they give him like non UFC competition, close to non UFC competition at this point. I'm gonna disagree with you on this picnic. I think Cerrone has enough left in the tank for a guy like Morono. I actually like Morono, right? But this isn't the single biggest opportunity of his career. His last fight was just as big of an opportunity against Anthony Pettis, a former champion, and he got outcrafted by Pettis. And what we've seen from Cerrone is that you're right. Early on, man, if you catch him clean and hard, he can go down, whether it's to the body or to the head. But, you know, after losing in the first or second rounds to Ferguson, Gaethje, and McGregor, he then had a war with Anthony Pettis that could have gone either way, that a lot of people think he deserved, the same Anthony Pettis that clearly beat Morono. And then he had a war with Nico Price that... I think it was actually a point deduction from Nico Price, but he looked good in that third round, man, just like he usually does, right? And then here's the beautiful thing about it, Nick. Rafael Dos Anjos, the guy that beat Cerrone twice in mixed martial arts, he got his revenge via armbar. He finished him in overtime in a submission grappling match in December. So here's the thing. The way that Cerrone was talking about um, 
Diego Sanchez, who we can get into, I guess, at the end of the show if we have a minute or two, all the hoopla going on with him. Um, the way that he was talking about Sanchez was, I mean, he was so confident. He was like, I'm going to destroy this guy. I'm going to knock him down, let him back up, and then I'm going to put more damage on him. Like, it's a bit of a dick move considering, like, he probably dominated Diego Sanchez in training and he's a much bigger man and Diego Sanchez is a fraction of his former self even, let alone, you know, let alone the version of himself that's now. So, kind of a bit of a dick move and so Cerrone probably deserves to get smashed a little bit for that, but I don't know if uh, Morono's the guy to do that. He doesn't have a whole lot of power. He puts pressure on. He does get tired in that third round. And what we know about Cerrone is that he is going to, if he makes it out of the first five minutes, he's going to get stronger. He's going to put the output out there. He's going to have the height advantage here. He's going to have the conditioning advantage on paper, especially with Morono taking it on short notice. So I like Cerrone here, man, to, to piece up Morono in the second half of the fight. I like Morono, but he's a journeyman at best. He His goal is not to be anything more than a journeyman, and I respect that. But I think a guy like Cerrone, with his ceiling being much, much higher than Alex Morono's, I think that he should have enough left in the gas tank to piece him up in that second and third round especially. He can get takedowns in this one. Uh, he can outstrike him from a distance after that first round. He's a slow starter, but once he makes it through five, he's all good. And looking at Alex Morono's uh, wins, he's got a win over Zach Otto in the first round, uh, win over Josh Berkman in the first round. But, I mean, there isn't a whole lot of that, Nick. He's not, like, knocking mofos down early on in the fight. So I like Cerrone to do well here. I hear that. That's fair. Um, and then next on the list, Nikolai, who do I take next? I think I'm going to take a man that I am a big believer in, and I even picked him mistakenly over Stephen Thompson in his last bout. I'm going to take Joff Neal to beat Neil Magny. It's the battle of the Neals, Nick. He is extremely fast. He puts serious pressure on Really, really serious head kick from that southpaw stance. Neil Magny can do well against a guy that has that kind of firepower early but then dies off over the course of the fight. He, Jeff Neal's coming off of a five-round fight with Stephen Thompson in which he was trying his absolute damnedest to take Thompson's head off in the fifth round. So he's got the conditioning. He's got the speed. He's got the strength. He's got the technique. I think he's got everything he needs to do well against Neil Magny. I guess if Neil Magny ends up on top in mount or something, that could be trouble for Joff Neal. But there's no reason to doubt his chin. There's no reason to doubt his offense. So I like Joff Neal to piece up Neil Magny and look good doing it. Also, include him in a parlay or two for all the betters out there. I think uh, I think he's a relatively safe bet at minus 190. Okay. I've, I also was picking Neil there. I'm going to go with uh, uh, Marina Rodriguez over Michelle Waterson in the in the main event. Um, I think that Marina Rodriguez's power is a is a real problem, and I think that. I think that Watterson's good. I just think that she peaked. And um, unless, I think that in, unless the, unless she can pull off those, the, you know, the headlock judo throw and, and get this and get this fight to the ground, and I have my doubts that she's going to be able to do that, I think that she's going to eat, uh, I think that she's going to eat some big shots. And she's not, certainly not someone who's easy to finish. But I think Marina Rodriguez is scary. I think she's I think she's scary and and hits really hard and that and that Watterson uh her her I think that her best her best fights and probably her best moments of durability are behind her. Yeah, um, I hear that. What do you what, what uh, else I'm you sorry, got? I wasn't <laughs> sure if you were done. There was an um in there and I thought there was more coming. Um look, I, I agree with you on the pick. I think there's reason to be cautious about it. Marina is a legitimate like 
115 pounder as big as it gets. I think she could compete at 125 if it wasn't for her mediocre wrestling defense at times. Michelle Watterson's like a 105 pounder who had to put muscle on to be at 115, who's now going to fight in this battle at 125. I don't love that for her. Um, she has the five round experience, right? Marina's never been five rounds. That's a big factor here, especially given Marina's limited uh, MMA experience. She's only three, one, and two in the UFC, even though she's coming off a big knockout win. Um, she wasn't taken down in her last fight uh, against Hebus, and Hebus was able to keep that position as long as she wanted. Marina doesn't really work her way up. She just kind of waits until the round ends and then hopes to come back and look better in the next round. And it's worked for her more often than not. It's particularly, it seems like in the first round, which is where she's relatively easy to take down and control. Um, I look, Michelle Watterson's going to go for takedowns here. There's no doubt about it. Rodriguez is susceptible to takedowns. So it's entirely possible that Watterson gets that top position, maybe even possibly submits her. Although we haven't seen Rodriguez, uh, give up that, those kind of positions yet. Although I'm sorry, she's given up positions, but we haven't seen her get submitted yet. Michelle Watterson's really good at taking the back and getting chokes from there. We've seen Marina Rodriguez wear girls as a backpack in, in 10, eight round losses, right? So it's entirely possible that Watterson does her thing. She's certainly got the cardio advantage on paper, even though Marina Rodriguez's offense is relentless. Her power is unbelievable. She's going to be way taller, way bigger. She's probably going to be faster here. Michelle Watterson, I've likened her to Holly Holm in the past, and they come from the same gym, and that she can have good hands if she wants to, but she chooses to keep it at kicking range, throwing just one strike, one kick at a time, and refuses to engage in uh, in, in an exchange unless she really feels confident about it. I don't expect her to feel confident against Marina in any exchange. I think Marina's tie clinch is phenomenal. Her distant punches and kicks are fantastic. I can see Michelle Watterson shooting under. I think this will be relatively competitive. I think it'll be a lot of fun to watch, but I am leaning Rodriguez because of the kind of damage that I think she can do on Watterson. I don't think this will be too much different from that Yuana Janjacek bout with Watterson, except that Janjacek has really good takedown defense and Rodriguez doesn't. And even Jan Jacek, Watterson was able to get her back, I believe, in that third or fourth round and look good. So there's serious risk here, but I, I'm there with you on Marina Rodriguez. I think the odds are a little bit too wide. But again, this being at 125 is another feather in her cap for this matchup. My next pick is going to be... I'm going to take... In the Diego Fajera Gregor Gillespie matchup, I'm going to draft one of these two fighters, Nick. I'm very excited about this bout. I think, like, you know, I think yeah, the world of Diego Fajera, his offensive pressure is fantastic, trains out of Fortis MMA. He's made the biggest improvements, I think, throughout his career, throughout his UFC career, uh, as a guy from Fortis of any other fighters. And his Brazilian Jiu Jitsu is top notch, even from his back, right? He's the kind of guy that, as you're going for a takedown, he's going to start locking up a submission on you as you're heading down. And his goal isn't so much to cast the submission and submit you, his goal is to create a scramble with that submission so he can get back up to his feet. The thing is that Gre Gregor Gillespie, man, he's going to relentlessly clinch you. He, he, once he grabs a hold of you, he does not let go for the rest of that round. And I could see that being enough to allow him to keep that position, even if he's not able to dominate Ferrer, right? His pressure eventually gets to fighters. I don't expect his pressure to truly get to Ferrer to the point where Ferrer is just exhausted in the third round or about to get finished by him, but I can't see him just having that thing where he, where he's kind of like defending a takedown, his butt's on the ground, his back is against the cage with Gregor Gillespie holding onto his legs, and I can see Ferrer kind of looking up at, at the ceiling like, fucking A, man, I, get, I need to get this underhook. I got to do something here. Um, I think Gregor Gillespie is probably going to have enough with his offensive nonstop pressure with his grappling. I think he's going to latch on to him and hold on to him forever. Um, Ferreira might clip him. Gregor did get knocked out, uh, but I think a year and a half ago, but 
and that's his one loss. But I think his his just constant, constant, constant pressure out offense will be enough, especially in the three round fight. I like Gregor Gillespie to pick up a interesting decision here, one that'll be fun to watch, despite the fact that one of these guys is just purely looking to clinch and grapple. Yeah, I uh, I was leaning towards Gillespie, but this is this is a, that's just a tricky one to pick because you don't know if Fahey is going to catch him with something. And also, as much as I like Gillespie, Fahey is a, a fighter that you don't want to see held down for 15 minutes because he's so much fun. True. Um, you know, I, I also think just Gillespie's training is probably going to make him one of those guys that's fairly submission proof. Um, so, yeah, but I'm, in, I'm very, in, uh, one of the most intriguing fights on the card for, for sure. Coming what do you got next, bud? Next. Um, I think uh, I think Big Ben Rothwell. I don't make this. I don't have much analysis here. I just think Big, Big Ben Rothwell um, has enough left to defeat Philly Blinds. I don't think Rothwell's at the stage in his career where he's where he's going to lose to to uh, uh, have like a heavyweight at that level. I just don't think I'm not that impressed with Blinds, and I, I just I think uh, Rothwell's been in there with everybody, and he's not going to see anything new. Yeah, um, I ended up disagreeing with this one. Granted, Rothwell's losing to like really good guys. Um, I just he's a fraction of his former self now that he's not on steroids anymore. He's not particularly fast, and if he is fast early, then he's exhausted for the rest of the fight. And if he tempers himself, then he's pretty slow, and his power is gone. You know, he used to knock people out left and right when he was on the juice, and that's not really happening anymore. He used to look in better shape. He used to catch guillotine submissions when he was on the juice, and that's not really happening either. Um, even though Philip Lenz is coming off of a loss, he's actually 0-2 in the UFC, and it's kind of funny that this the odds here are so close. Um, I, Arlovsky outcrafted I, him. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, I'm just like, since he got back off of his suspension, he knocked out Struve. Okay, I get it. A lot of people have knocked out Struve. He after, really after by the way, fight knocked with... out Struve in a fight he was getting kind of handled in, and then kept, the, I think he kept getting Struve in the nuts again and again, if I remember correctly, and then eventually he had to desperately go for a knockout because he he was deducted multiple points. Just for the record, like, he didn't look good in that fight at all, but go on. Well, but he looked he looked good for a lot of the OSP fight, and Martin Tabura is just like a younger, better version of Ben Rothwell. And I think Tabura, I just think Tabura is a much better fighter than uh, than than Philippe Linz is. But maybe uh, oh yeah, I agree with that. You'll prove me wrong. I agree that Tabora is a much better fighter. I just feel like Philip Lenz is Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. He's got some speed on the feet. He trains with the American top team. It's probably a mistake. This is a fight that I don't feel strongly about at all. Uh, you know, I, I've still yet to see any reason for me to be excited about either of these guys, even though Lenz on paper looked like a prospect going into his UFC debut. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm giving the edge to Lenz, but I would not at all be shocked if, uh, if it went the other way. My next pick, I am going to take... I think I'm going to take Tafan and Jukui to beat Jung Young Park. And and Jukui is like a really good kickboxer. He trains under the like literally evil Lloyd Irvin. He's a horrible, horrible human being, but he's got a couple of really talented fighters under him. And Jukui being one of them, he's a really good kickboxer, just a brick house, right? Just wide and muscular and powerful. And he hits like a brick house, but he's slow as hell. Um, his takedown defense is pretty good and he is undefeated up to this point even though he hasn't fought like the very best of competition yet Jungian Park is 2-1 in the UFC not a bad record right really solid boxing decent takedowns when he needs them against a good striker um, I, I'm giving the edge to Njugu because I think Njugu because I think he'll be able to avoid takedowns, and there's a chance that Junyoung Park might be able to outspeed him with the hands. It's a very decent chance, but I think Njugu's one shot will mean a lot more than Park's two or three punches landed. So I, I like Njugu here to continue his trek slowly up that UFC ladder. 
Um, I don't know if I'd recommend a bet to, on him because I see some risk here, but at minus 140, I think if he gets a win here, this is about as low as we're going to see him for a little while on the odds. Yeah, that was that was my pick also. Um, next pick, man. After after how he looked against the Russian sniper, I I kind of wish that uh, Hawes was taking a little bit more of a break because that third round was not pretty. Um, but I still I just I fa- I favor his power. Um, I favor his power and pressure early in the fight against uh, Dawkus. I just I I. S- have a sense that, that this is going to be one of those fights where Haas, uh, where Haas lands big. Yeah, we haven't seen Dawkus look bad when it comes to his chin. And I, like he's a guy that will continue to get stronger as the fight goes on, whereas Haas is the complete opposite of that. I'm giving a slight edge to Kyle Dawkus, but this was like literally the last fight on my list because I'm least confident in it. This and the uh, Rothwell-Lenz fight, your last two picks. Um, I just Kyle Dawkus is really skilled in the ground. He's really skilled standing up. Phil Haas is not going to have like a giant like this is one of those matchups where uh, you know I've 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 decided that I'm not going to pick the better wrestler against the guy who has better stand up and better grappling. I believe Doc, Kyle Dawkus has better stand up grappling. I believe he has better cardio. So I like Dawkus here. In fact. I just talked myself into placing a bet on Dawkins at minus 125. I think it's worth an investment. I wouldn't be surprised if Hawes ends up uh, getting some sharp betters his way and this line gets even closer. But I like Dawkins here. I disagree with you. This is actually our third disagreement on this card. That's always exciting when we're watching live. My next pick. I'm going to take Carlston Harris to beat Christian Aguilera. There's a lot of risk in this one because Aguilera hits incredibly hard, especially early on in a fight. And Harris doesn't have the greatest chin, but he is a successful fighter. He has really good grappling. He has a lot of cardio on him, right? He's a guy that will keep going at 100% in the third round, whereas Aguilera doesn't have a great gas tank on top of uh, the fact that he doesn't really have a great chin either, Aguilera. He's just kind of offensively a talented fighter uh, when it comes to the stand-up. Carlston, I think, is going to just grapple him. He's going to stick to him, take him down, just stick to him like glue. And if Aguilera is tired enough in the second half of the fight, Harris is going to pick up a submission win. Yeah, I had the. This is one where we do where we do agree. The um, oh boy, we're not left with a exactly a basket of. Uh, <laughs> no, sir. We got two fights <laughs> left. Maybe, you, maybe you maybe you thought some of these were uh, were a little bit easier, but I guess in the uh, whew, in the sloppy heavyweight fight, I think that um, even though Maurice Green is is physically imposing. He's the opposite of. I think we would agree that he's the opposite of crafty. Um, yeah. Even though he's 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 had, a, you know, he's he's been around the block now. He's had a. You know, he's not massively experienced, but he's got a good number of fights uh, in the UFC. Yeah, he does. And um, you know, but he's but he's he's fighting. Uh, you know, one could argue a guy with a, a guy with a lower ceiling, a thirty-five-year-old. Um, how old's Green actually? Uh, Green, I think, is in his 30s, too. Yeah, yeah, he's he's 34, but um, I'm going to go with with Rogerio de Lima out of ATT. I think think he's a little bit sneakier on the... uh, um, And I could see Green being susceptible uh, to some some kind of uh, submission. Yeah, I mean, I I could see the possibility of... um of Rogerio de Lima getting top position and riding it out that way. I could see him catching him early in the fight. The thing is that you can't really trust in his conditioning. 
I'm picking Delima by the tiniest of margins. Um, I, I think Green is going to have more heart. He's going to have better conditioning in this matchup. It could be very similar to that matchup that he had against John Volante, where Volante was seemingly doing well and winning. And then Jonti is so exhausted in that third round that a semi-submission works on him. We saw uh, Delima lose to a semi-submission in his last fight, a literal form against the throat. Granted, it was against the monster of a human being uh, with Alexander Romanov, but uh, it's, it's really hard to be confident in this one. I'm glad you're picking this one because I'd rather pick the Zaruk Adashev Ryan Benoit fight, but I do agree with you by a small margin. Uh, in that fight, Nikolai, the Benoit Adashev fight, both guys are actually like do the majority of their training nowadays in the tri-state area. I like Benoit. He's very fast. Um, he does tend to get tired and kind of start to lose steam over the course of a fight. And even though he's fast and he hits hard, his like he doesn't have a lot of craft. He doesn't have a whole lot of technique. He trains with the Hensel Gracie team. A couple of the guys that I know uh, are, are working directly with him. I think his training camp was in Puerto Rico for this one, actually. I'm not sure why. Maybe because of COVID restrictions in New York. But Adashev is like from a pretty like unknown team that I've heard, like a Muay Thai team here uh, locally in, I believe, Brooklyn. He's, you know, pretty inexperienced. He's got just a few fights on his record. He's not really ready for this UFC stuff, which is why he's 0-2. And granted, in his second fight, he looked a little bit better than the first, but let's look at the guy. He's 3-3, three and three and he's a fucking UFC fighter. He's 3-3, three and three, Nikolai. What the fuck is he doing here? Supposedly he has good stand-up, but I, I like Ryan Benoit. I think he's going to have more skills everywhere. He's got more experience against higher-level competition, and I think he's got some power in his hands against Adashev, who was knocked out pretty badly by a counter right hand in his UFC debut by another heavy hitter at uh, at 125 pounds. So I like Ryan Benoit here. Well, that's the card. 12 fights, six picks each. Um, I'm I'm gambling, man. We'll see. We'll see if I'm able to do it. But I'm, there's, there's a lot of fights I'm looking forward to. Hebus Hill, right on the top of the list. Maggie yes. Neal, really interesting. Absolutely. What does Cerrone have left? Uh, Marina Rodriguez, Watterson, Kind of, it seems like the traditional like changing of the guard fight. Uh, Ludovic Klein versus Triziano. There's a lot of under the radar guys. I agree. Uh, I agree. It's actually a pretty solid card. card. So, Not yeah, a whole lot of big I mean, names, but some good names. The more I think, the more I think about it, the, the more I like it. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely um, there with you. Um, and and I will say just quickly, I ended up with one, two, three, four. I ended up with six of my top eight picks. Um, which I'm pretty happy about. I, I commend you well, for taking you, wait, this. Uh-huh. Well, it's going to happen. I told you that was going to happen because I've got, I'm, tr- I'm trying to go for these underdogs. A- absolutely. I just feel like you're, I don't know. My first thought is, and I could be wrong, and I hope that there's egg on my face next week, um, but it seems to me like you're diving too deep into it. Like, I would save these people for, like, the second or third pick. You know, there's to be yeah, fair, this card doesn't if, have an obvious I mean, first maybe. pick. It's not maybe, like Cyborg is going to beat up on some no-name, right? Like, right. It's not, I but, then if, but then if you take, yeah, but if you, I couldn't be, I, if you had taken the fight, then I would have yeah. lost the opportunity. That's true. So maybe, I mean, maybe I was over, maybe I'm over-aggressive. What's, what, what's, you know, what's the worst case? I, I'm a second half of the year picker. Yes, you are. Um, you really come on strong in the second half of every goddamn season. Nikolai, a good one in the books. I look forward to discussing more. We do yeah. have to get into, maybe next week we'll watch Diego Sanchez uh, saga with the UFC and with this. I don't know, Charlotte and